Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Vineyard. Happy Sunday. Oh, man. I don't even know if there's a need for me to say anything this morning. What am I going to add to what's already been said? Well, against my better judgment, (laughs) against my better judgment, I'm going to hold forth. I want to talk to you guys this morning about the Father Heart of God. Seems appropriate. Isn't that a cool painting, by the way? Amen. Yeah. I want to talk to you just a little bit out of the book of Romans. We're going to look at a few verses out of chapter 8, 2 in particular. But before we get there, I want to say this to the church. I want to say this. I want to say that we are not simply saved. I've shared a little bit of this with you at different points, but I want to reemphasize that again this morning. We're not simply saved. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Uh, We're not just those people who are right with God. That's not entirely what it means to be a Christian either. And we're not just those who are not going to hell. Who we really, really are is children of God. Two of the greatest revelations in the scripture are these. Number one, that God is love. And number two, that God is a father. And by the way, they do not compete. They stand side by side. These are the peaks that all the paths of Scripture were leading us to the entire time. First off, let me say this. It's quite a revelation to awaken to God. He is, after all, invisible. But somehow, somehow, who we are just knows that there's more to this thing called life that can be accounted for. It's like this. It's like we keep doing the math over and over. We keep calculating and we keep getting answers that exceed the given input. It's as though we do the equation 2 plus 2 over and over again and we get 5 every time. This kind, of, this kind of math and this kind of calculus is just woven into the universe. There's just something extra that hangs around everything. There's just something more that is present in the ether. You and I know it. It's easy to lose sight of it, but then out of the corner of our eye, we catch glimpses over and over again. Maybe you experience a perfect sunset. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Maybe it's marrying your best friend in the presence of friends and family. Maybe it's a dinner table full of laughter. Maybe it's a really hard day's work, but with something left over at the end of the day to show for it. Maybe it's the first ripe, perfect garden tomato. Maybe it's receiving help from a total stranger when your tire blew up. Maybe it's the wonder of traveling to a new land halfway around the globe only to find that people on the other side of the world are quite different but at the same time they're really quite similar. Maybe it's the feeling of compassion that we have towards people that we do not know at all. How many of you heard the stories last week of the 49 people who were murdered in Orlando, and it broke your heart. 
why would our hearts be broken about people we don't know? Can I tell you why? God. That's why. And these glimpses, every single one of them are evidence of God. This is how God works. He tends to hide in plain sight. And even so, we are told over and over again right now that human beings are becoming increasingly atheistic. But even, even so, there remains a much greater thread that binds every human experience together. And it is this, that we all sort of understand that somebody beyond us made us and set us into motion. People all over the world for thousands of years have lived with an awareness that there was a God. We don't use the same words. We don't use the same images. And we haven't always been super generous with different words and different metaphors when they arose. But nonetheless, there's this great agreement across generations, across cultures, and across continents that there is, in fact, a God. A great agreement. The truth is, modernity and whatever atheism is, it's a, it's a recent blip on the map of human experience. The, the worldwide agreement across cultures and time is that there is, in fact, a God. Now let me say this. It is one thing for humans to believe in God. It's another thing altogether for people to come to, to, come to believe that God is a father and that we are his children and that God is love. It is surprising because most of humanity have looked at the changing seasons and the birth of children and the power of thunderstorms and the beauty of sunsets and the symmetry of migrating geese and the only thing that they've seen is the power of God. They've seen that he was great. They've seen that he was directing. They've seen that he was directing possibly everything. They've seen that he was the boss. They've seen that he was in charge, that he was powerful, that he was brilliant, that he was omnipotent. But they've also seen that he was distant and aloof, somewhat disinterested, possibly a sadist, perhaps needing service. These ideas are at the root of most of the world's mythologies. The gods are in heaven above, They are superior, they are untouchable, they're oftentimes petty, the gods are angry, they demand service. And because of that, it was our duty to recognize them and to pay them homage. To make a little offering to keep the gods happy. Maybe the crops won't fail if we make the right offering at the right time. Go and see the shaman and inquire of the gods as to why my wife is suddenly sick. And as primitive as this all sounds, these thoughts are still pretty much alive and well. It's the picture of a punitive, powerful, and petty God. But then the Bible comes along and shows us a different picture entirely. Yes, there is a God. And yes, he is powerful. And yes, he is sovereign. But he is not selfish. And he is not insecure. He is no bully. He is mighty but in ways that are surprising because he reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous and he lavishes his love without discretion. All the mythological gods, they require service. 
The God of the Bible gives service. All of the mythological gods, they attend to those who attend to them, but the God of heaven has attended to everyone without discretion. The God of the Bible is a father. And not only that, but he's a good father. In John chapter 5, 16 and 17, we won't read those verses, but if you want to write it down, you can. We see Jesus doing what Jesus always does. And the thing that Jesus always does is talk about God being his personal father. By the way, this was a new thing on the lips of Jesus. In fact, it made people very uncomfortable. You and I are mostly comfortable with it. It made people very uncomfortable because it just seemed so casual. And it seemed to imply that if God was Jesus' father, then that meant that Jesus was God's son, and that seemed to be just too far. In fact, if you do a careful reading of the Gospel of John, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason that Jesus got killed is because he kept saying over and over, there is a God and he is my Father and I am his Son, without equivocation. He says it over and over again. Jesus knew that he knew that he was Joseph and Mary's son, but somehow he woke up to the fact that on a much deeper level he was God's Son. See, here's the thing. Religious people never get threatened by a powerful, exclusive, and demanding God. However, a loving father gets them every time. There's nothing so intimidating to a religious mind as the father heart of God. If I preach a demanding, exclusive, and powerful God, the religious at church will be happy. If I, if I speak of a loving father who reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous without equivocation, you can be a good person, you can be a terrible person, and God's, God's affections for you have not changed. When you preach that message, the religious get angry. And let me tell you, I got the emails to prove it. <laughs> but then, to make matters even worse... Not only is God good, and not only is God a father, but he is not impotent. He has children. And apparently, he has lots of them. The fact that God has children is the complete collapse of religious striving. On this, all of the apostles agree, especially Paul and John. God is a father, and we are his children. What do we say to that? Well, we say to that this, that we have life. That's how we know this. And some of us in the room may be thinking, well, duh. But here's what I mean. No child ever asks to be born. No child remembers the moment that it was born either. Most children, most children are the products of their parents' love and affection. They're happenings of love. You and I are here because our parents loved one another. Furthermore, after we are born, we go through a series of awakenings. Now stay with me here. At some point in your little life, you become awake to your mother first. And then you become awake to your father. And then lastly, we become awake to ourselves. 
It's the gift of our own consciousness. It kicks in and we become awake and aware that we are in fact alive and that we are connected to all kinds of other people and even we're connected to the planet and the soil on which we stand. It's called the gift of consciousness. Now one understanding of maturity is this. It's becoming increasingly awake to the ways in which we are alive and how our lives are connected to others. Part of that awakening takes place at a spirit level as well. We awake to God. Then we awake to his love. Then we wake up to the fact that he is our father. Or as the theologians say, that God is the ground of our being. And then we wake up to the fact that we are his children. David said that even if my mother and my father despise me and forsake me, that the Lord would take me in. That's what David said. A thousand years before Jesus was walking, a thousand years before Jesus woke up to the fact that God was a father, David awakened to the father heart of God. See, this is what the spiritual life is. We just wake up, and then we wake up, and then we wake up, and we wake up, and we wake up. We wake up to life. If you stare into the depths of your own existence, eventually you'll see the Trinity. See, here's the thing, church. We didn't ask for life. You didn't ask for your physical life, and you didn't ask for your spiritual life either. I didn't vote on the order of nature. I didn't put in a transfer form. I didn't ask to be born, and I didn't even ask to be born again. No, I just am. And eventually, I woke up to it. I didn't perform for it. I didn't appease God into giving me life. I didn't make a deal with him down at the crossroads. That kind of dealing is always the devil. I didn't make any promises and I didn't cry any tears. No, get me here. I eventually did cry tears, but I didn't cry them at first. No, I was born and I was born long before the tears. I was born before I was ever conscious of myself or my family. I was born before I was ever conscious of God or this family. I was just born. It was not of my own doing. It was all God. And because of this, I cannot boast. I can only boast in God. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 131. If any man boasts, let him boast in God because he is the one who has done it. You did not save you. Your faith did not save you. Your faith is just another word for waking up to God. It is not up to you. It is not up to you. It is not up to you. He is a father and he has progenerated his seed into the universe. We are his children. And eventually, if you just wake up, you will see it. That's actually good news. Here's why. Because being a child of God is first and foremost about being at rest. That's what good parents provide in their homes. It's the kind of stability that leads to peace. We don't strive. And we don't earn. In fact, one of the things that I've noticed in my life is that awakening usually happens in peaceful moments. That's what Paul says. I want to read this out of... Romans chapter 8. We can start in verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you live by the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, and you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's a huge revelation. The next slide. So if you, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead you have received God's Spirit. And when He adopted you as His own children, now we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. We are His heirs. We are His children and we are His heirs. All that the Father has is ours. That's what it means. That's what inheritance is all about. Everything that a father has also belongs to the children. We could spend more than a few minutes praying through that. We could hear this. We could hear this over and over. And if we don't spend a little time praying through that or meditating through that, then most of us are going to go straight to money and power and position. You know why I know that? Because that's what I go to. (laughs) When I hear that I am God's heir, when I hear that I am his son and that I am heir, I hear on the surface money and power and position. But here's the thing, church. All of those things go away. None of those things last. Not only that, but Revelation says that in heaven the streets are made of gold. And by the way, that's a statement as to how much value heaven puts in things like silver and gold, which is not much. Just let that settle for a moment. In heaven, the streets that are made of gold have about as much value as asphalt is to us in our present state. But what does remain? Well, Paul says, faith, hope, and love remain. And these are the possessions that we should lay hold of from our Father. If we are God's children, and we are, then the Father's DNA is ours. Which means this, church, it means that you and I can be loving. And it means that you and I can be joyful. And it means that you and I can be peaceful. It means that the fruit of the Spirit is a possibility. It means that the power of the Spirit is is a possibility. It means that the character of Christ is a possibility. This doesn't mean that it's always easy. In fact, it's almost never easy. And in fact, it's almost never passive either. I mean that these qualities don't always show up without consideration. Actually, here's what I've noticed. I've, I've noticed that they often do show up without thinking or acting but if we, if we allow it to be based upon not thinking and not acting, then that style will be irregular. It's kind of like when I go out and play basketball. I can hit a three-pointer without any practice. I just can't hit many of them. Expressing your truest DNA, you don't have to practice it. But you may not express it as well as you could if you gave it some consideration. And Paul says in verse 17 that we get to share in Christ's glory. And then he throws in that little clause, if we share in his suffering. Being God's child is not always easy. 
The good news is we get to taste his glory because God is a sharer. But we also drink the bitter cup of suffering as well. And you might be asking yourself, well, why? Well, here's why. Because God suffers. That's why. God never divorces himself from a suffering world. Ever. He does not look to gather distance from the pain. Rather, he enters into it that he might redeem it. Last Saturday night or early Sunday morning when 49 people were murdered in Orlando, God was not the guy pulling the trigger. God was the people getting shot. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is always the person getting shot. He's never the guy pulling the trigger. God does not look to divorce himself from a suffering world. Jesus is God who enters into a suffering world. He enters all the way into the depths of suffering that he might redeem it. Here's what it means to be a child of God. It means to be loved by the Father on the front end without your striving, without even your awareness. It means awakening to the fact that God is. It means awakening awakening to his glory it means awakening to all that his his has now become ours and that means awakening to the kind of dna that we actually have and if god is actually in us and if we are actually his children if he is our father if i have received his dna by the spirit it means that eventually you and i will not look to distance ourselves from suffering but in fact we will turn around and we will enter into it we will find the least we will find the lowest we will find the lost we will find the poor we will find the needy we will find the outcast we will find the undeserving and rather than look to distance our lives from them rather than look to live in neighborhoods with gates where we don't have to look at those people rather than drive only on one side of town we will begin to cross the barriers because that's what the gospel does every single time the gospel is not divorced from pain and suffering the gospel is to enter into it with god's dna that it might be redeemed So you have to consider this. Jesus came preaching good news and got hung up on a cross. Jesus came preaching peace and it got him killed. And the gospel of John says this is his glory. See, this is what it means to be God's child. It means waiting for God's vindication and letting go of the dream of being vindicated by the world. Being God's child means seeing others as God's children as well, which means giving our best to the least and the lost. And it means giving generously, and it means reaching out and crossing borders and boundaries. See, when Jesus ascended, when Jesus ascended and he went to heaven, Jesus became the king of the world, and it was like this huge tag, you're it. The ascension isn't this little trick that Jesus did to impress his disciples there at the end. The ascension is Jesus has now become the king of the world and tag, we are it. God is still at work in the world. The spirit is still hovering over the chaos and you and I are the connecting points. Heaven doesn't have the same value system as the world. Heaven isn't supremely interested and extracting all the good and all the gold away from people. Rather, heaven is giving. And heaven is giving the best to the worst. That's what it means to see Jesus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus' blood flows out of his body onto the ground. 
which is to say out of his body and onto the world, the needy world. That's the picture of sonship. Jesus is a picture of sonship, and he is a son not because of what he takes, but because of what he gives. Some of us have an idea that mature sonship or mature daughtership is what I can get. No, that is actually immature sonship and immature daughtership. Mature sonship in Jesus and in the Father, really being loved by the Father, means that you and I grow up into being the kind of people who give to the world and not look to just extract from the world. Looking to extract, looking to always gather from other people is actually a sign that we are still orphan-hearted in many, many ways. Many, many ways. Looking, looking to only receive without being that giver is, is actually profound immaturity. The, the, the most mature expression of sonship is always Jesus on the cross. And I want to tell you what my dream is. My dream is that before I die, before I'm 80, before I'm a really old man, I want to grow up into the kind of son like Jesus who isn't looking to extract from other people accolades or money or things or birthday presents. But I want to, I want to, I want to become the kind of person who is a mature son like Jesus and becomes absolutely in everything I have a giver an outward focused person I want to be an extension of Jesus's blood coming out of his hands out of his head out of his side onto the dirt I want to be in that float this is the flow of heaven the flow of heaven is not from the earth to heaven the flow of heaven is from heaven back to the earth and that is really really different church that's really different there's a lot of sonship teaching that exists in the church there's a lot of orphan-hearted teaching that exists in the church and most of it is still in my opinion way about what can i get from god and what can i get from other people most of the definitions of what favor means uh, that exists in the church are actually have very little to do with jesus or the kingdom of god most favor teaching is immature teaching come from from an orphan-hearted person who's still looking to get a book deal and become famous and try to extract something from the church so they can deal with their issues rather than becoming a person rather than becoming a person who's living generously without accounts toward humanity it's a really different thing the kingdoms of this world always extract the strength of their subjects but the kingdom of god gives its strength for its sons and daughters, that the sons and daughters might give strength to other sons and daughters. And here's the thing, church. Because we are given that spirit of God, we take on that same DNA. We can give to the world because we're not orphans. We can give to the world because we're not living out of a gaping hole of unmet needs. To the extent that you and I still live with gaping holes of unmet needs is the extent to which we will still be orphan-hearted. But the good news is this morning that God will still show us His love. We still need to experience His love in those parts. Paul says we're no longer fearful slaves. You and I are no longer tucked into the corner. We're no longer afraid at who might be running the show upstairs. 
we don't have to go see the shaman. We don't have to offer little appeasement offerings to secure decent crops or another job promotion. All of that is mythological thinking. No, we are sons and we are daughters of a generous God. And he is working his spirit into our lives that we might become expressions of generosity to a world that is profoundly orphan-hearted. Profoundly orphan-hearted. We are his sons. And we're his daughters. Amen? Amen, amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come up? Uh, And then why don't everybody else stand up this morning? I want to pray. I want to pray. Shortest church service ever. Just got to say that. Ever. I'm giving myself a gold star. (laughs) I just pinned it on. You can't keep it from me. Oh man, Lord, we love you in this place. We just love you. Mm. Oh God, would you touch every orphan-hearted part of our being? We just welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We welcome the Father this morning. God, we welcome you. God, we ask that your love and your affection for us, that it would be evident to us this morning. God, we ask that the sleepy parts of our heart that are still asleep and unawake and unaware to who you are and to who we are, we ask that that would be shaken alive this morning. God, for those of us who have some understanding, some awakening, some revelation, some awareness of who you are and who we are, God, we ask that you'd continue to wake us up. That you continue to wake us up. That we might be generous to the world. God, for those of us who are orphan-hearted, we ask that you would embrace us with your love. God, for those of us who are orphan-hearted, we ask that you'd show us even now how you have always been embracing us with your love. God, especially for those of us who have lived difficult lives, God, especially for those of us who have maybe even had really difficult fathers who did not embrace us and who did not show us the kindness of an earthly father, but also just the kindness of our heavenly father. God, we ask that you would embrace us with your love even now. bless you God 
God, we ask that you would wake up all the sons and daughters, that you would, that you would, that you'd cause us to live out of our heavenly Father's DNA, which is generous. The generous heart of God. We ask that we would just live out of the generous heart of God. God, we ask that we would stop playing the excavation and the extraction games. God, we ask that we would begin to play your game, which is giving and generous. I also feel like there may just be some people this morning who've just never, never been embraced by the Father, either your earthly Father or your heavenly Father. When we're done praying, you probably need to come forward and just get some prayer this morning. Like, while I'm doing this, if this all just seems very foreign and there's just a major emotional disconnect, I'd invite you to come and and to receive prayer. That's really important. So God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who is the perfect son and who is our perfect brother. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.